in all areas of the country that they're in. And we also pray for Mark as he continues to recover from his surgery and illness and thank you for the continuing providence of the youth ministry even while he's unable to be there. We pray for you, that you guide Kapalabar as they search for a new senior minister and you provide us with a leader with good character who teaches the word well. We pray that we continue to be a church who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, preaches the gospel and upholds the Bible as the word of God and shares the good news with our community. Blessed is God's glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. Grab your Bibles. We've got a second Bibles that you handed as you came in. It uh, is just on page um, 863. Yes, good. Um, so Revelation 7 verse 9. Revelation's painting a picture, as I said, about the end and what it would be like. It's multiple moments and, and uh, perspectives on what is happening at the end of time. But what, one of these moments is that all these people gather around God's throne. And they give him glory. And it's just an amazing picture. Have a look at it, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. I don't know if you can picture that moment because it really doesn't fit with our experience here and now. I mean, for starters, it's not like in the West we have a lot of experience of lots of people glorifying God. The majority of our culture really wouldn't think that's a normal thing. And yet here we are, we have people from every nation, people from Switzerland and people from Swaziland, people from speaking English and people speaking Urdu, short people, tall people, all sorts of faces, all sorts of skin colours, uh, sheer diversity of cultures, and they are all gathered around this throne glorifying God. Um, we've got uh, global politics at the moment just seems to be getting more and more conflicted. Nations are pulling apart. Um, US is challenging China and Brits want to leave the EU. The NATO pact seems to be dissolving. God has other plans. He wants to bring nations together in wonder at him, wonder at all that he's done. The question is, how on earth do we get from here to there? What, what is going to change the world between here and there? I want to say that in part the answer is you. This morning we're looking at evangelism and I want us to see our part in seeing every nation glorifying God. I want us to capture that vision and be excited for it, and, and be living for it. So how about I pray? Heavenly Father, please help us this morning to see your great plans for this world, to get excited about them, to live for them, um, so that Jesus might be glorified, so that all nations will be drawn together in wonder at who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I just want to go back. I want to paint a picture of the Bible and the story of the Bible and how it unfolds. Because it's all about the nations coming to glorify God. You start off, uh, God makes a world that is good. So um, light and dark, they're good. Sky and sea, they're good. Everything is good, 
But only one thing makes it very good. It's when God makes people. Why is that? Well, it's because people are made in God's image. They're made to reflect the God who made the world, and they're made to spread out over the world and, and take his image all over the place. So have a look at Genesis 1 verse 27 up on the screen. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule like God does over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. People were made to fill the world with God's glory. Of course, that's not what happened. Uh, The classic moment in those first 11 chapters of the Bible is Babel. It's the complete reverse of this agenda that God has for the world. Uh, It's a moment when all the people gather in one place, and it's not about God's name, it's about their name, their reputation. Have a look at 11 verse 4. Um, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. People don't like God's agenda for spreading across the world and glorifying him. And so the first 11 chapters, it's full of curses. It's, it's the world going wrong because God's plans are being ignored. And we only switch from curses to blessing when God chooses Abraham. Genesis 12. Uh, God chooses one man to be great... But his greatness is so that all nations will be blessed. Now have a look at verse 12, uh, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, God says to Abraham, and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God focuses on one man and his family, but his goal is still the nations. It's for all the world to know God. And so that's how the story of the Old Testament unfolds. Time and again, God is at work uh, to reveal his glory. Even so at the end of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, start of, the next one is Exodus. God's people are down as slaves in Egypt. They're foreigners in a foreign land. And God... God wants them back and he has to to wrench them away from Pharaoh using plagues and punishments. Why does God do that? Why does that moment happen? It's to reveal God's glory to the nations. Have a look. Uh, Exodus 9 verse 16. God says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God has this agenda for all nations to to know him. And so even at Mount Sinai, God's people are taken out of Egypt. They're taken to the foot of Mount Sinai. God is about to appear in all his glory, in the cloud and lightning. And and just before that moment, God says, well, here's my agenda for you, Israel. Verse 5, chapter 19. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, Then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, This is the nation that's going to stand between God and people. That's what a priest does. It makes the relationship between people and God possible. And that's Israel's purpose. God has this 
this agenda for all nations to know his glory. And Israel at their best, that's exactly what they're on about. So probably the high point of Israel's history is that they, um, they have David, who's the faithful king. And David becomes king, and then his son Solomon is wise, and he's so wise, other nations come to visit. The queen of Sheba, Sheba is miles from Israel. The queen of Sheba turns up, and she's impressed not just with Solomon, but with his God. Have a look at what she says. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel, because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. God's big agenda is for all the nations to be impressed by him. But the big rider that keeps coming up is God's people need to obey him. The king needs to maintain justice and righteousness. That's where God's reputation is built. Uh, these days we have the World Wide Web, you know, a network of computers stretching across the world, all connected together, able to interact and, and, and um, interplay. God's plan from the beginning was for worldwide worship, WWW. Worldwide worship. He made humans for that purpose. He, he chose Abraham for that purpose. The whole story of the Bible is God wanting people to see his glory, to be impressed. And if you hear that, I hope that raises a big question for you. The question is, is God a megalomaniac? Is God just egotistical, that he'd want all people? Like if that was anyone else, we talked about um, dictators. They gather people together and unite them, but it is so selfish, so self-interested. Is God, is that a problem with God? Because this is an issue for a lot of people. Uh, Don Carson is a famous Christian speaker, and he's noticed over the years people's questions are changing. There was a time early on in his ministry when most of the questions were, can you trust the Bible? Is it historical? Is it believable? Is it real? But these days, he says, people focus on God's ego. Why, why would God want the world to focus on him? Um, Carson says, you know, how can you worship a God who is so self-exalting and so self-centered as the God of the Bible? A God who's constantly pointing to his own greatness and telling people they should recognize this greatness and tell him how much they like it. It just seems a bit self-centered to people. Uh, this was Oprah Winfrey's big issue. Uh, she used to be involved in church. Um, one day she was at church, caught up in the rapture of the moment, and, and the preacher says, the Lord thy God is a jealous God. And she says, something struck me. I was 27 or 28, and I was thinking God is all, and God is omnipresent. God is also jealous. Something about that didn't feel right in my spirit. C.S. Lewis, the, the famous Christian author who wrote the Narnia books, um, he, this was his obstacle, one of the big obstacles for him in becoming a Christian, that God would make everything for his glory, that he wants everything to be focused on him. He said the constant call to praise God in the Bible, it, it made Lewis picture God as craving for our worship like a vain woman who wants compliments. It's for many people, it's a real problem. Uh, maybe it's a problem for you. I mean, it's all well and good for us to be God-centered, but should God be God-centered? 
That would, that would be wrong unless God is very different to us. So this is what makes God unique as a being. He's, he's the one being in all of creation that to have everything focused on him is, is not bad, it's good. Because he's the one that made it. It's made for him. Uh, God's greatest glory is also our greatest good. Let me suggest that to you. Uh, turn again to Ezekiel 36. So Ezekiel 36, God is wrestling with the problem that his people don't give him the glory he deserves. And that's true not just when they were in the land of Israel, it's true when they were sent as exiles. So um, page 602, um, God says he has to punish them because they're not giving him the glory he deserves. But it's not just that they're following other gods. When they follow other gods, they also mistreat each other. So have a look at verse 18. I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land. They, they killed each other. And because they had defiled it with their idols. They'd followed other gods. Now, these two things often walk together. That people abandon God... And they also abandon the right way of treating each other. Because God's glory is when we, we treat each other well. God, God gets his glory by seeking justice and righteousness. We saw that for his people. He wants his people to be known for righteousness and justice. Sin is injustice. It's treating each other wrong. So that alone says God's glory is good for us. But I want to say it's much more than that. Because God gets his greatest glory from forgiving us. The pinnacle of God's glory is his loving kindness to us. So you get it in Ezekiel. He's wrestling with this problem of how will he rescue his reputation among the nations. Verse 23. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you have profaned among them, and then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I pr am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries, I will bring you back and into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. God rescues his name by forgiving people. And it's not enough for him just to forgive his own people. He then goes on in the, in the Old Testament to say that his agenda is actually to forgive all nations. So um, Isaiah 49 verse 6, God says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God's back on the, the worldwide worship agenda. Zechariah 8 verse 23 this is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all nations and sorry, languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of the robe and say, let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. This is the agenda that God spells out, and then he sends Jesus. When does God most reveal his glory? It's when he sends his son to die for us. So last term we started looking at the book of John. Um, people talk about John having two parts. There's the first part they call the book of signs, where you see Jesus perform lots of miracles and showing who he is. The second part they put called the book of glory, 
because the big theme that John keeps talking about is glory. What happens in the second half of John? Jesus dies on a cross. The, the glory of God is revealed in John as his son takes our sin and dies for us. When he provides the forgiveness that we didn't deserve, that's God's greatest glory. For God to be, want to be glorified when that's what he's like, that's not, that's not egotistical, that's not self-serving. That God is his most glorious is when he is most other-concerned. That is his glory. And so this is what C.S. Lewis realised, that actually God wanting glory, it's just the natural thing you would do anyway. The more you discover what God is like, the more you love him and the more you want others to know about him. C.S. Lewis compares it to other things that you love. I mean, if you value a political party, you try and convince others that they're a party worth voting for. If you love cricket, you will give a blow-by-blow description of a cricket game because you're just so excited about it. And Lewis says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. Worldwide worship isn't a burden God puts on us. It's just what happens when more and more people discover who God really is. They're just wondering at God. And so once that happens, once people get who God is, then the message goes out. Um, That's uh, Luke 24, what we heard earlier. Um, Jesus tells his disciples, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that's the message that brings God glory, that will be preached to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. This is the message that we have. This is the news of the gospel that God, at his very heart, is a forgiving God. He sent his son so that people who were not in relationship with him, people who were his enemies, could be forgiven and be his friends. This is God's glory. So this morning, I I wanted to think about evangelism and I want us to get two truths nailed down that I think make a difference in evangelism. The first thing is, evangelism is God's big project. God has from the beginning of time been working so that all nations would glorify him. It it, it started back there and it's continued in the New Testament. Once Jesus died, this is the main game in town, folks, that God is going to be glorified by all nations. It's the main game. Is it the main game in your life? Is it what actually shapes your priorities and how you spend time? that you would love people to see how great God is. That's the first thing I want us to grab hold of. This is God's big project. The second thing, though, is I want us to see it's good for us. When God wants all nations to know about him, it's actually really good. So it's good for me, but it's also good for the people I love. It's great for them to know God and his glory. See, we're saying think, feel, live in this series. If I think that God is egotistic, if I think that ultimately evangelism is really just about God, but it's not so good for people, well, I I will feel 
reluctant to tell others. And that will shape how I live. I, I, I'll be hesitant to invite friends to church. I, I won't urge them to trust Jesus. I might mention it, but I'll really just leave it in their court. If I get my thinking wrong, if, if deep down I'm not convinced that God is good for other people, then I'm going to be very reluctant to tell them. But if I think that God's glory is the greatest thing that I could give anyone, if they could know God and how he really is, and that would be good for them, well, then I'll feel the urgent need to tell other people, won't I? Uh, I'll, I'll feel like they're missing out, and I will live to show others that God is good. I, I will actually make that a life priority. Um, I might do that where I am. I might just look for opportunities to invite people to know Jesus. I might be seeing opportunities coming up in the life of our church. There's a service I could invite friends along to um, or along to a social event so they get to meet some of the people from church and it's easier for them to visit. Whatever it is, I, I, I can do it here. But we're also in the midst of Mission Month. And so having a heart for evangelism is wanting to see this grand project unfold across the nations. It's actually getting excited and maybe even going. Maybe even being part of taking this great gospel message to other nations so that all nations would glorify God. Being part of another node that connects up the worldwide worship web because that's what God's doing. I mean, that's why we planted this church, isn't it? It's part of building this network of people who love Jesus and want others to know him. We, we want to be a church that is growing for the sake of our community, growing as we invite people to hear about Jesus and come to love him. And so that's why we run our events. It's, it's why we are not only praying that we will be established as a church, we want to be part of a network of sending churches. We want to be growing more churches, seeing more people come to know Jesus. We don't want to stop with us. Our vision needs to be God's vision. It needs to be WWW, worldwide worship. All nations glorifying God. Because God is good. And he's good for all the people we know and love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please do keep showing us the goodness of your glory, that uh, you are glorified in your kindness to us, in your forgiveness in teaching us to live in your world the right way, in a way that builds others up and cares for them. Please keep revealing your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. And please make us part of that work. Amen. And we're going to jump straight to the Lord's Supper out of that because it is 